0: We want to say two prayers right now. Um, one is we just want to dedicate this building to the Lord. Um, just a real simple but sincere dedication of the Lord. So would you guys join with me in praying for that? Father, we thank you, and all glory of Jesus goes to you. And Lord, you died on the cross, and that's why we're in this building right now. Uh, Lord, because you uh, have redeemed us and bought us and, and called us out as your people. Uh, you've saved us and done great, great things uh, on the cross for us. And Lord, we... We depend on that, we stand upon that, and we just give you glory. And I pray that the downstairs of this facility will be a place where kids would grow up to love you, Jesus, and to know you, and to know your word. And I pray that this room would be only filled with exhortations to press into our relationship with you, to trust what you have done on the cross, Jesus. We ask nothing else. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And, um we also, I, I want to do another prayer, and this is for a, a specific person in here who uh, is, has been through a very, very rough, uh, rough couple weeks. And so um, ladies, and especially ladies who are leaders, would you guys lay hands on Cynthia? And uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for Cynthia, whose husband passed away um, last week. And um, it's been a horrific uh, time. For a lot of us, and so we're gonna we're gonna pray for her. She's part of our family, and and uh, we just love her so much. So, Father, we we pray, Jesus, that you would shower comfort on Cynthia, God, that you would take her in your arms and show her how much you love her, Lord. Father, the enemy wants her life to be destroyed. And you desire her life to grow as a beautiful, blooming flower. And I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you would cause that to happen. We ask, Lord, that you would protect her from things that are dangerous in her life and uh, even other people that don't have the best intentions in her life. And, Lord God, I pray that you would give her wisdom and give her strength. And when those waves of, of sorrow come, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring greater waves of grace and of love and of compassion. Thank you, Jesus, so much that you've uh, given her to us as part of our family and that we can care for her and we don't take that responsibility lightly, Lord. We want to be everything that she needs and we want to point her to you, uh, to trust in you for all of your promises, Lord. Please give her an extra portion of love and, and comfort in this time, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. So please remember to pray for um, Cynthia and, and remember that life is going to be so short and uh, our trust in the Lord is all that we have. Amen. You know, amen. All right, well today we're going to be studying the Word of God and we've been going verse by verse through the book of Genesis and so we are continuing right along. So open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 21. And we'll begin there. We're not going to make it through the entire chapter today, just the first 13 verses. And you get extra credit if you can tell me why I named it the way I named it. But you don't tell me now. We'll just if you know it, you know it, and it's funny, but we'll talk about it later. So the title of today's message is called Scott's Tots. And we're going to get it get started right now. So let's pray for our time in the Word. Jesus we, we come to you, Lord, again. Lord, this is all focused on you. But, Lord, we can't understand your word unless your spirit opens our hearts and opens our ears. So, Jesus, we ask in just total peace and, and trust and faith, Lord, that you will speak to us directly. And, Lord, I know that there's a specific message you have for every single person in here, Lord. And it's not what man has for us. It's what the God of the universe desires to say to us. So, Lord, we put our hope in you and we, we trust you. And we humble ourselves before you, confessing that we need you. We need you so much. Thank you for being a God of promises, and I pray that we would understand and know and grasp a hold of those promises today. In Jesus our Savior's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Did you know there's 8,810 promises in the Bible? 8,000. That blew my mind when I read it. In the Old Testament alone, there's 7,706. I don't know who counted and I didn't, so if they're wrong then I just gave you bad information. But and as this guy said, there's 1,104 in the New Testament. And if you read through Deuteronomy 28 just alone, just by itself, there's 133 promises in that one chapter. Which is just crazy. God likes promises. He really does. If he owned a football team, they would be called the Promise Keepers. And Bill McCartney would be their coach. That was a good joke if you grew up here in the 80s. All right. And their motto would be called, if God said it, God will do it. If God said it, God will do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, if God said it, God will do it. All right. A promise from God is as good as gold. It's as sure as, as reality itself. If he makes a promise, he's going to do it. It's more sure than anything we believe that is sure. It's like the sun rising. You know, there's, the, God's promises are more sure than the sun rising. Does anyone in here have a doubt that the sun's going to rise tomorrow? Yeah, but we doubt God's promises all the time. But we're going to see that that's unacceptable. We need to trust in God's promises, believe God's promises. We can. We can hang our hat on them. There's more of a chance of the sun exploding and turning into a black hole tomorrow morning than one of his promises not coming true. If God said it, God will do it. Right. We're going to do that a few times today, so we'll see which one is the best. If God said it, God will it. All right. There you go. Some of God's promises that we should all know, I'm going to tell you right now. We should know these, okay? These are very important. God promised to bless Abraham, and through his descendants, bless the whole world. That's a promise that we should know. We should know that Israel is one of God's promises to the whole world. And the fact that they exist, and the fact that there's Jews in the world, proves to us God's faithfulness. God promised to lead, or Israel, that he would be their God and make, him, make them his people. God promised that if we search for him, we will find him. That's God's promise. You tell someone, read the Bible, just read the Bible. And they say, why? Well, God promised if you search for him, you would find him. God promised that his love will never fail. No matter how much of a knucklehead you are, his love will never fail. God promised... Blessing for all who delight themselves in his word. Yeah. Some might say, why do you spend every night reading the word, every morning reading? Why do you go to a church that teaches the Bible for so long? And Well, we can't say it has uncomfortable chairs anymore. We got nice comfy chairs, so I can go for like two hours now. Yeah. Oh, come on, Jonathan. Just kidding. I, I understand. Two hours would be long, but maybe not today. We'll see. We'll work up to it. It's like a marathon, right? All right. I don't know where I was. Um, God promises salvation to all who believe and trust in his son. That's his promise. So if you say, I believe and trust in his son, you have salvation. All right. God has promised that all things will work out for good for his children. That's another promise. God has promised comfort in our trials. The deeper you hurt, the deeper your comfort will be. That's God's promise. God's promise to finish the work that he started in you. God's promise peace when we pray. God's promised to supply all of our needs. God has promised, Jesus promised an abundant life and rest for those that would follow him. Jesus promised his disciples power from heaven to do his work. And Jesus promised that he's going to return for us. And God promised a new life in Christ now, if you want it. A new life just given to you. These are all God's promises. And if you look on your Anchor Deep page, they're on one side of your Anchor Deep page. As you look at those in in your anchor groups this week, there's going to be a discussion about those promises. And we'll, they'll come up a little bit later. But I wanted to just bring those out there. I wanted to give you a hard copy of those so that you can keep that in your Bible. And you can just, when you're thinking, I don't, I don't have, have all 8,000 of God's promises memorized, but I got a few of the really important ones right here. And there's, we're going to see more because on the backside of that, in your anchor groups this week, and you could do it now, you could do it anytime, there's a check. A check. And it's, it's to help you visualize and help you grab a hold of the one promise that you need most desperately right now. And I don't know what's in, going on in your life. I don't know which of those promises really struck your heart. Like, ah, I would like to experience that right now. But that check, you can write the number of your promise in there, but the, in your anchor groups, you're going to talk that you need to endorse it. You have to endorse a check to credit, to, to, to cash it, right? If I wrote you a check for a million dollars, A, it wouldn't be good, but B you'd have to endorse it. You have to sign your name on the back, which means you have to say, I believe this promise. When God makes a promise, it becomes part of who he is, his very character. Even men understand how this works. You know, he doesn't just flippantly say promises. When he says a promise, he's basically always saying that promise. He's always making that promise because he's outside of time, so it exists in all of time. Booker T. Washington describes meeting an ex-slave from, from Virginia in his book, Up from Slavery. And he says, I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation, to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body. And while he was pray, paying for himself, he was permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master, some $300. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his master, this black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. In talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but he had given his word, his promise. To his master. And his word he had never broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom until he had fulfilled his promise. You see, no one respects someone who breaks a promise. You know who I really dislike? Indian givers. Well, no I don't. That was, that was a joke. You know who really gets under my skin? People who try to sound like owls. I knew you'd get that, Jonathan. Thanks. When God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. If God said it, he will do it. Exactly right. So we get now, that was all introduction to just this portion of scripture here, Genesis 21, where he says, Then the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah all that he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. So this was at a set time. There was a fulfillment of the promise. Abraham didn't get to pick the time, and I think that's what we get so upset about when thinking about God's promises is, okay, I understand he's going to fulfill the promise, but... I'd like it to be in my lifetime, or according to my timetable, or when I want it. And that's not the way that God works, because he has other purposes that are involved. <clears throat> Abraham didn't get to pick this time, he, but the thing is, he could have lived as if the promise was already a reality. He could have, and actually, he should have lived as if the promise was already a reality, because it would have, oh man, look at every time Abraham was believing this promise over the past 20 years of his life. As we've been studying and seeing Abraham's journey, we've been seeing he, at some times, he believes the promise, and then during those times, he loves his wife. He's faithful to the Lord, he's trusting, he's not worried. And then there were the times when he didn't believe the promise. And he may have had it far off. Yeah, I gotta fulfill that someday. But it affected his behavior in the here and now, so much so that he slept with his handmaid, he had another child, he's lying to pharaohs and to Abimelechs. I mean, all over the place, he was not honoring God. And we'll see that in our life. When we believe the promises of God, it affects who we are. Because those promises start to become a reality spiritually in our life. And when we don't believe, it also affects it. For God has said it. That's right. He'll do it. Every time, it's always the same. The act of believing promise, believing a promise of God is called faith. And you guys hear that term passed around all the time. Faith. Oh, his faith is so great. Their faith accomplished so much. Well, here we see that faith is really... Just the act of taking God's promise and signing your name to the back of the check. Saying, I believe it. And I'm going to live like I believe it. If God said it, God will do it. Even if it's crazy, like this story Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. In his old age and in her old age, both being physically impossible against science, against common sense, against the law of what's cool, and nothing about this makes sense. Nothing about this works, but yet God promised it, so he's going to do it. Look at verse 3, and then Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, the Bible is clear to say, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. We already see that Abraham is investing in his son spiritually. He cares about his son's spiritual life. He's leading the way to righteousness. He's obeying God in faith because he's seen the, 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 the answer to this promise, the fulfillment of this promise happening in his life. Now look at verse 5. When Abraham was 100 years old, that's when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah is just overjoyed at the fulfillment of God's promise, God's word coming true, becoming real in her life. She knows just how crazy this is that God would do this for her because she doubted him. But do our doubts Changed God's faithfulness of his promise. If you believe that Jesus saved you, if you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, and you've asked him to be that for you, if you have a doubt or two along the way, God is not up there saying, Well, that makes my promise, no effect in your life. He doesn't do that. No, he he handles our doubts, he comforts us, he draws us to trusting him and, and teaching us that he works by promises. <clears throat> she knows how crazy this is and now she's just happy, she's at rest. You know, I would just wish they could experience they, that Abraham and Sarah could have experienced this rest for the last 20 years of their life. Cuz they've had infidelity, they've had arguments, they've had all kinds of problems. Why? Cuz they didn't believe God's promises. They didn't believe it. Hebrews 4 says that we can enter into the rest, <coughs> excuse me, of God right now. Right now, today, his promises, like the promises of Abraham, they reach to us even in 2015 in Denver, Colorado. And we can live like we already have all the blessings and favor of God because we do. And the set time that, God, that we're going to experience God's blessings is going to come. And let's look at now in verse 8. So the child grew and is weaned, and Abraham made him a great feast on that same day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, this is Ishmael, whom uh she had born to Abraham, scoffing. So Ishmael sees Isaac and he they're having a party, and Ishmael's like, Man, I'm thirteen, this kid is a punk, he's taking like they're throwing him a party, look at him, he can't even walk, and he's two years old, you know. He's just mocking him, just Being an idiot, right? Verse 10, therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. Whoa. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. He loved his son Ishmael. It was his son. He spent 13 years just loving young Ishmael as his only son. He totally loved him. But God said to Abraham, verse 12, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, (coughs) excuse me, or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her voice. And all the wives say, amen, good teaching. And God says, for in Isaac, your seed shall be called. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham, he's kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot I have this other kid who I really love too. The child of my, my fleshly efforts, the child of my sin, my, my best ideas of how I could help God out. And we've studied that plan. Thank you so much, sweetie. Thank you. Ishmael was his son of his efforts, his flesh. And he's thinking, Abraham's thinking, maybe he can still be a part of my life and a part of God's plan for my life. Maybe God can just kind of turn Ishmael around. Why, then, does God tell Abraham to kick Ishmael out? Kick him out of his family, basically. I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, right? I mean, in our day-to-day, if a a parent just kicks their kid out, it's like, really? Really? Is that is that what's going on here? So why did that happen? Well, if you would turn to me the book of Romans, God doesn't just leave himself without explanation. He actually explains it very clearly to, for us. <coughs> Romans chapter 9 verse 7. It says, "Nor are they all, excuse me, nor Are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham? But in Isaac, your seed shall be called, it quotes from Genesis 21, verse 8. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At that time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So God's very particular about His promises, and He's very particular about where spiritual life comes from. Where does spiritual life come from? Does it come from your efforts? Or does it come from God's promise? And maybe this is something that we've struggled with, or you've struggled with in your life, where you've been thinking, how do I get this spiritual life that God has for me? How do I obtain it? Do I go to church a lot and try really hard? That is Ishmael. But so many people in the world, so many people in church think that it's just a standard of rules, it's just a list of things to do and don't do, or just whatever I can give. If I seek God with all of this, seek to please Him, then He'll just have to reward me someday with spiritual life. And it's bondage. It's bondage because Ishmael's mom was what? A slave, right? Okay, so real life comes from promise. Isaac was a son of promise. God just said, I'm going to do it at a set time, at an appointed time. What do you need to do? Nothing. Just believe my promise, and you will have the life. And whatever changes you want to see in your life, whatever ways you want to honor God, you will see those things come to pass at the set time. But you have to just believe and wait for my time. Believe and wait. Even though Ishmael and Isaac had the same father, they did not have the same origin. They did not. One was born of the flesh, one was born of the Spirit through promise. And they actually acted very differently in their lives as well as we're going to see as they grow. It matters where your life originates. If you only have the flesh to draw upon for power, for your strength, your resources, you're going to act like one who has none of the spirit of God. And as you look at how each of these men relate to the promise, you'll see an amazing parallel to how we need to relate and how we do relate to God's promises for us. Ishmael was born of the flesh. He had only what nature gave to him. He was not a child of God and God's promises. Isaac was born of the Spirit and promise. He was created new by the Spirit. A miracle. No one could have done it. It had to be a Flat-out miracle. His life had all of these attributes as well. Like in Colossians 1.30, it says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, coming where you sourced from. And when you're sourced by Jesus, it says, Who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. All four of those things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and, and redemption, all are seen in Isaac's life. Isaac has wisdom, and Ishmael doesn't. Isaac experiences redemption and sanctification and and, uh, righteousness. Ishmael doesn't. In the natural man, the man who lives by his flesh, there will be none of these things because they only come from Jesus. Can you get righteousness any other way but from Jesus? No. Can you get wisdom any other way? No. Because God makes these things happen through a life of faith. If God says it, God will do it. He says he will give you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption if you're in Christ. If you believe in Christ the way he did, he will give you those things. So if he said it, he'll do it. You mean every other religion in the world is wrong? Yes, I'm sorry. But Jesus, because Jesus actually sources for us spiritual life that we need. He actually sources it. He gives it as a grace, as a as a gift called grace. So it has to be Jesus. He's the only one who can source those things because He is God. He's the only one. In Romans 5:15, it says, But the free gift, 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 is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God, by the gift of grace. By that one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. So it's a free gift, and it's by one man, Jesus Christ. No, uh, no philosophy could save a man because a philosophy isn't a man. A man has to save a man. A man has to give his life in exchange for a man. You can't, I can't trust uh, uh, the speed limit to save my life on the highway. I have to trust a man obeying the speed limit for me. I've never thought of that before. That just came to me. That one's free. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not the gift that you earn through your efforts. It's the gift of God, and God is the source. He's the giver of the gift. So Jesus is the only one that can do anything to help you and give you life spiritually. He's the only one. Amen. Amen. It's a work of God from beginning to end. Isaac is a child of God. He says, that is those... Back in that verse in uh, Romans chapter 7, where we're kind of parked here, it says, uh, those... That is, those who are the children of the flesh... Someone's upset. Okay. Those who are the children of the flesh... These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. It's a work of God from beginning to end. Our salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. It started with a promise and it ends with life. Started with a promise. It's a truly spiritual life, too. It's not just what we came up with. It's not just what we obtained. It's not what we earned. It's just life that was born. The greatest gift anyone ever says is when you get a baby, right? And it's a new life. And you say, oh, life is such a precious gift. That's life. It's, 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 it can't be worked for. It can only be given. We see, we're going to see the huge difference between these two men, okay? Isaac likes meditating, we're going to see. You know, spending time in secret communion with God. Ishmael likes arguing and fighting with everyone in his life. Two different ways of living. Isaac likes, or he, he, he has a faith like his father. Ishmael has the worldly influence of his father. Abraham was a popular guy in the world. Ishmael likes that political favor. He likes being popular. He likes people fearing him. Isaac marries who his father seeks for him. Ishmael marries someone from Egypt, a type of the world. Isaac will surrender himself as a sacrifice to God. Surrender to the point of death to honor God. Ishmael will have nothing of that. Self-sacrifice is nowhere seen in his life. He's all about me. And we may find that there may be many outward signs of a Christian life in an unbeliever. There may be singing, praying, quoting scripture, following rules... But only a true Christian will have deep, intimate, true relationship with an invisible, living God. That's the difference. The outward we can't always tell, but the inward we can. The child of the flesh can be seen like, he has to be seen when doing good things. He'll bring it up. Look, I did this, I did this. The child of promise is just fine knowing that God is with him and has done good things for him. If God said it, God will do it. Look at what Paul says about this very situation in Galatians. So turn with me over to the right, a little couple pages, to Galatians. We see Paul has a lot to say about this whole Ishmael and, and the sons of Abraham here as we're seeing Isaac, the fulfillment of the promise. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 22... It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. That means this is for you. The reason why Abraham had this kid was for you today in Denver. For these are the two covenants, The one from Mount Sinai, which is the law, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Wow. So Ishmael, the reason why Ishmael is who he is and why he did what he did and why Abraham made the mistake was for you so that you would be able to tell. And so you would be able to look at your own life and say, right now I'm living by the law. Right now, the Ten Commandments is what I'm thinking about and I'm looking at my performance according to those list of rules and I'm looking and seeing how either well I'm doing or how not well I'm doing and all it's leading me to is frustration and not life. But there's another covenant. There's another covenant, the new covenant, which is a covenant of promise that just says you believe in what Jesus did on the cross and all those, that performance that you're looking for was done by jesus and it's just given to you it's attributed to your account it's given to you and you have everything that you've needed you have it all just given to you and you say that's too easy and god says i know that's why it's called a gift the law was too hard which way do you want it you can't have a little of one and a little the other and that's the main point of today You can't have a little of one and a little of the other. You can't say, well, I believe Jesus died for me and that's how I'm getting to heaven. But in my life today, I'm looking at the law and I'm living by the law and I'm going to do my best. And what you're doing in that is you're slapping Jesus in the face and saying, what you did was good enough for me back then, but it's not good enough for me today. It's not good enough to change me. It was good enough to save me, not good enough to change me. And Jesus is like, what? Because look at what he says uh, six verses later in Galatians 4:30, Paul goes on and he says, "Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman." So our question that we're talking about is, why does God tell Abraham to kick Ishmael out? I mean, is it just rude? Is he just mean? It's because we, it's because today, we can't live with the flesh and the spirit at the same time. There must be a kicking out of one of them. There must be. If we kick out the spirit, the flesh will take over. If we kick out the flesh, then the spirit is free to reign. To control our actions and our hearts, we must renounce all dependency on the flesh. That's how we kick Ishmael out of our life. You renounce dependency upon your flesh. We must not surrender to the flesh and its desires. These things happened all this way back in 1500 BC to Abraham for us today in 2015. Because we have Ishmael and Isaac with us today. All of us do. Our Ishmael is all of our hopes and our dreams and our ambitions and desires that spring up from our nature. Everything that we want and we think we could get, that's our Ishmael. Our Isaac is bound up in the promises of God, like a kid tied up. Bound up in the promises of God. He is that little part in us that God has given us birth to that says I will believe I will trust God's promise and I'm just going to be crazy enough to say yeah I believe that one I just believe it God's going to work out my marriage God's going to create in me a heart of love for my kids God's going to change me into a loving selfless person I just believe it I want to honor God I want it I want it I want it but I'm not going to try it on my own. I'm going to spend time with Jesus and believe his promise. I'm going to stay connected with him. Our Isaac is that that part inside that says, I will believe. I believe that if I search for him, I will find him. That was one of those promises, right? I believe that his love for me will never fail. I don't have to do anything to receive it. I just have to believe it. I believe there is a blessing for me if I delight myself in his word. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to open my Bible at home. Not because I'm trying to earn it, but because God says there's a blessing if I do it. So I'm going to do it because I believe. I believe there is salvation for me when I believe in his son. I believe that all things work out for good for me because I'm his child. All things, no matter how crazy they seem. I believe I have comfort. In my trials. I believe that the deeper I hurt, the deeper my comfort will be. I don't understand it, but I believe it. Yeah. That's Isaac being born in our hearts. I believe that God has promised to finish the work he started in me. So no matter how much I fail day after day over the same stupid thing, that God is not done with me yet. He is not. I believe that I have peace when I pray. And it's a peace that passes understanding. It's not a peace that comes from understanding. I believe it. That if I pray about something, God says, you can have peace now. Okay. I don't know how, but I believe it. I believe that God has promised to supply my needs. I believe that Jesus promised abundant life to me when I follow him and rest. I just believe it. And so I have it. I believe power from on high when I wait for him will come. That if I need to have a conversation with someone and I need to have strength and boldness to tell them the word of God, that I need to wait upon God and his power will be there for me. I need to spend time with him first or else it's like a bull in a china shop. You need to get saved and you're an idiot. uh, That's how I do it anyway. But when I wait, God gives me his power so I can just say one word. Bro, Jesus. And there's power there. It doesn't matter the words you say. There's power. I believe that I have a new life in Christ now. And whatever now is for you, whenever you want it, God says it's there for you. New life, fresh life. If God said it, God will do it. How can I have such a wild and reckless belief? How can I do that? How can I say these things when from the outside they all appear to be untrue? To be so crazy and wild? How can I be so naive? How can I be so like pie in the sky, head in the clouds preacher? You can say that because you're a preacher and that's what you're supposed to say on Sunday mornings, believe in the promises. Here's how. Very practically, you surrender your doubts to Jesus Christ. I put my doubts in one hand, and I hold Jesus in the other, and I surrender to Jesus what he has asked me to believe. Because if God said it, I will do it. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God in him who? Jesus, are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. What guarantees each of these promises? Each of those things that we just read that you might have sound crazy to you or that, that, that just aren't a reality in your life yet, each one of those promises, how are they real? Jesus guarantees it. Jesus says, in me, they're already answered yes and amen. Boom. All 8810 promises guaranteed. And the answer to every person who asked, is this for me? Is yes. And amen. Could I really rely upon these wonderful promises? Yes. And amen. Can I depend on these more than in my own abilities? Yes. And amen. Can I go from being an Ishmael to an Isaac? Yes amen how try harder no right wrong you guys i love well-taught christians (laughs) no be born of the spirit how did i how could isaac try to be an ishmael how how could isaac try to be born it can't happen It, it, it has to be a miracle of the spirit Based on promises. That's what makes the whole Christian life outside the realm of possibilities for a humanist. Jesus doesn't work for a humanist. Because a humanist only sees what man can do and our abilities. And your life is what you make of it. And a Christian says, you can't make anything of your life. But Jesus can give you a new life. It has to be sourced from him. He does it. It's his promise. How do we get the guarantee applied to our own life? Second uh, Corinthians 122 says, "Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." So Jesus is the guarantee and the spirit is Jesus very heart and life being applied to you and given to you. He is the actual guarantee. And His Spirit in your heart is how we experience that guarantee. It's Him actually living in us. And when he, give, and he gives the Spirit to whoever will ask. Every day, we need to ask afresh for the Holy Spirit. Not because you need to get saved again, but because we have a continual need for more life of Jesus inside us. He is bound to respond to everyone that asks. That's His promise. I will give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. He will not promise you college tuition when you're in kindergarten and then flake out on your graduation day when you really depend on Him. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13 is where we're going to close today. And it says, so I say to you, Jesus says, I say to you, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Yeah. Uh, let me read that again. Everyone who asks, receives. How do I get this promise? Ask and receive. But what if I'm not good enough? Did you ask? Because God said you are. God says you're worth it. God said, I'll give it to you because I love you. It's not about your performance. It's not about who you've been up until now. It's not about what you think it takes me. I've bought it. I've paid the price. Ask and you receive. For he who seeks finds him, he who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him, offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Mm -hmm. See, God puts it in a way that we can understand, because everyone understands promises. And when you're born into a household, your dad, whether he believes it or not, has made a promise to provide for you. And Jesus says, think about that. If if you ask your father for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. And he said, if you guys are idiots and you know that, how much more will I be bound by my promises, God says. I am bound to give to you gifts if you ask me. I will do it. And you can say, no, nobody controls God. Right, but God has promised to do it. So you're not controlling him. You're engaging with him. You're receiving from him. You're getting what he has already promised. You're not trying to manipulate him saying, God, give me what you've promised. It's already yours. It's already yours. If God said it, I will do it. Will you believe it? Or will you continue to try your best? Continue to reject the all-sufficiency of his help and grace in deference to the I'm an American and I don't need anything from anybody idolatry. Because that's how we are. We think we're fine. And God says, Well, the day that you actually get thirsty, come to me and drink. When you get tired of running around, when you get tired of the law telling you how good you should be and how much you suck, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you, I'll give it to you. Just come and ask of me. Husbands, stop telling me that you're trying. Start believing his word and loving your wives as he will equip you to do. Wives, stop trying to please your man and start believing God's word that he sees your submission and he's honored by it. Abraham will inherit this land. He's going to inherit it. He will become a great nation because he believes God's promises. Isaac, is just the first of many fulfillments that we're going to see in Abraham's life. He's a miracle of God's love and faithfulness, not only to Abraham but to each one of us in here. Because if God said it, God will do it. All right, would you all stand with me? We're gonna we're gonna sing two songs. Um, and we have communion here, so this is again, this is our first time here, so we have no idea how this is going to work. Uh, so we're going to we're going to have it up here, and you're going to come during these songs, just at your own pace and where, if you want to put a put an action to your faith right now, if you want to say, I believe God's promise. Why do I believe God's promise? Because of communion, because I'm reminded at communion what Jesus did for me to show me, I'm telling the truth. I will save you. I have saved you. This is real. That's what communion is about. So, if you believe in Jesus, you're welcome to come take communion. Uh, so, these songs, we're just going to we're just going to uh, sing these songs. And uh, which one are you doing first? Um, Holy okay. So, during this first song is when we're going to come up and take communion, and let me pray for us. And come sing. You're singing. Come on. <laughs> so, let me pray for us and, and communion, and then I'll, I'll uh, dismiss you guys after our. our I love you, Lord, Son, Jesus, we we thank you, God, for your promises. We thank you, God, that we can stand upon uh, wild and incomprehensible grace. Lord, that you would would promise to fulfill the work you've begun in us. Lord, that you would never leave us, that your love for us is ever constant and more passionate than we could ever imagine, that you will, will forgive us of everything we've ever done. And that that freedom and that total acceptance is ours right now. Lord God, we we stand here and we say that we believe. There's a part in our heart that's been born as Isaac was born to Abraham. And and it's been born in there saying, I just want to believe God's promises. But yet the Ishmael inside us, Jesus, it, it doubts and it thinks that we need to perform better and it thinks that we need to do something to get this spiritual life. And it wants to argue and it wants to struggle and it wants to fight. And Jesus, you, I pray that you would give us victory. I pray that we would be obedient like Abraham was to kick out the Ishmael in our life. That we would kick out our dependency upon our flesh. Lord God, we need you so much. We thank you that you are faithful to the uttermost, that you never will deny your promises. And Lord, we're standing in a building today that has been dedicated to you and your glory, but is also a fulfillment of a promise to us. Lord, you told us, find a building. And Lord, you've been faithful to give that to us. So Lord, we, we love you, we praise you now, we worship you now, and And we just pray that you would be with us. In your name we pray. Amen.